Last we left our intrepid heroes, we had traversed a land most peculiar, but now we turn away from that curious land of Elmville to a world far more samezies. A land where magic is not of tomes made by wizards, but in the tower itself, in stonework, masonry. For what is the act of building a metropolis atop a swamp, if not one of druidic magic? And as the snow falls, it will kiss and make the <coughs> second, second best skyline, Brendan, you fuck. The second best skyline, and frankly, America, because Brennan, have you seen the skylines in Cairo, buddy? I'm getting away from the cold open, but anyways, because today, yeah, Brennan. we enter an urban fantasy, an unsleeping city, and everyone say hi, intrepid heroes! Hi. I got one. <laughs> no, we're leaving it for the audience. <laughs> no, the audience all said it. Don't worry. The audience is super into it. Don't even worry. Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God someone's here to care. <laughs> so, hello, everyone. That intro apes the intros from Dimension 20, which is a show, not the show you're currently listening to. The show you're currently listening to is original podcast, Do Not Steal, a podcast where every week I, Prince Devin, my co-host, Amber Autumn, and occasionally guests, Hi. Reggie, hello. Hello. Talk Hi. about media properties and other things for an extended period of time and then create an original character within that space. And today we're continuing our Dimension 20 trilogy. And I would like to start by saying I felt pretty bad about my performance for the first episode. I promise I won't make this whole one about that. But I came prepared with notes and another guest, Reggie. Reggie, say hi again, even though you already said it. Hi for the third time. <laughs> it's um not 100% clear uh, to either Reggie or me why Reggie is here, given that Reggie uh, doesn't know anything about Dimension 20. I'm here for a um, good time, not a long time. It's fine. Devin says that all will be revealed, and I'm going to choose to believe him. So, the reason Reggie is here is because, A, Reggie, wonderful guest. Love it when you're on the show. We make magic. Love the two episodes we have so far. But also... Unsleeping City is an urban fantasy. It takes place in New York. And I am not from New York, nor do I play a New Yorker on TV. I am, in fact, from the Midwest. I claim Chicago, and Chicago is self-conscious about not being New York. Ergo, I hate New York. And you are one of three New York friends I have, and two of three of those friends <laughs> who actually live in New York. So you can provide that authentic New York feel, baby. Wow, I'm a real New Yorker. Woo! But wait till the people from downstate find out that you've told somebody from upstate that they're a real New Yorker. They're gonna riot. <laughs> I don't care enough! <laughs> Step one, upstate versus downstate. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you guys stick around long enough, Reggie apparently has something to ask Amber about the Muppets. I remembered to bring it up. Oh, oh, yeah. What? I can say things about the Muppets. I love the Muppets. I'm a Muppets girl. We'll get there at the end. Oh, okay. okay. We're kind of we're kind of jonesing for Muppets all the stuff now. That I don't know or care about. <laughs> uh, and a little last thing, well, two last things before we get into me talking for forever agnosium is a the joke from this trilogy was not going to be Brendan come on the show. It was going to be Brendan 
let me on your show to show you how out of it I was last time. So, Brendan, let me on your show. I will stop doing this podcast and abandon Amber immediately. This friendship means nothing to me. We haven't monetized it yet. There's no money. Let me on your show, Brendan. He doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And B, while I was going over players and why they're good, I forgot to talk about Emily Axford. And I feel really bad because Emily Axford is one of the best <laughs> D&D players like, in the world. So we're, I'm gonna, Yeah, come on, Devin. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that before, sorry, we get into the show, before we get into the show proper. So Emily Axford is a wonderful player, and I'm going to start by making a comparison to myself, and that's not to say I am in the same league. Emily is definitively better than me by the time my brain works. But she is the player who closest matches my play style in the sense of Emily is the person who has the 100 year long plan for the character in the notebook but then abandons it immediately because there's a wonderful hijink that can happen here but where it's better than me because she just is it's factual is like and I think it comes from the improv background of knowing Like, the ebbs and flows of a scene, when to add levity, also when to move on from a scene. But it can feel like wacky hijinks, but it's always laser-focused chaos. They come from a specific character dimension. Like, in Fantasy High, Figaroth, Faith, like, her go-to spell is a disguised self. And there's this wonderful recurring bit where Fig, who is a high school student, has a... (laughs) A, a relationship, uh, a romantic relationship with uh, an adult dwarven man, um, and they kiss under Fig's assumed identity. And Fabian is very quick to point out that is wrong. None of that is okay, and it's not, but it's also hilarious. And the Hilda Hilda who lives on Hilda Street bit. Funny bit, but in season two, when you deal with like Fig's personas and her uncomfortability in her own skin and when she points to the one guy and says oh you want some goss how about this how about i'm a fucking virgin who's never had a healthy relationship in her life choke on grapes bitch that line iconic doesn't mean as much if we didn't spend as much time with fig making out with the adult man (laughs) and also just emily the greatest gift a player can give a dm is a player who just cares immediately and she does so much. It's wonderful. Even in scenes she's not actively participating and she just cares and it's wonderful. Love you, Emily. Let me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Let me on the show. I don't know you or love you, but I think it would be funnier if I got on the show when Devin was trying really hard to be the one to get on the show. That so I think you should let funny. me on the show for comedy. <laughs> Can I be like kind of honest? It's like the only D&D podcast I've ever listened to has been improvers doing it as like a patreon bit and it's some of the best content ever like you're right Devin. like if you hand an improver anything to do scene work in they're like oh you've handed us a framework thank you they just fill it up and they're like there you go all better and you're like thank you (laughs) like (laughs) yeah it's great so we're at the point where I'm about to talk for forever. So before I do that, uh, open the floor. Reggie, Amber, anything to say about a show you haven't watched or broadly the concept of tabletop RPGs? Because I'm about to talk for so long, baby. 
I have so much to say about tabletop RPGs that I'm not going to do it because uh, this episode is already going to be three hours long because it's both a Devin talkie all the time episode and a Reggie episode. So oh, I damn. guess the thing that I want to say is <laughs> um, I refuse to edit this one. <laughs> Fair enough. Surf's up, my guy. Fair enough. Uh, like... <laughs> I, the first thing I would say is that the only uh, tabletop or, like, RPG that I own is Amber's. Uh, and I immediately was like, I don't Thank know how you. to do this because I don't have any friends. But now <laughs> I have friends, so we actually have plans to play it for once. So we'll see. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Tell me how that goes. Um, my game, by the way, is Scherzando, which is a musical tabletop role-playing game about things going explosively wrong in which you play both the characters and the soundtrack. You can find it for... Uh, purchase at drivethroughrpg.com right now. Um, anyway, sorry, please keep going. No, that's right. I was like, Amber, what in the absolute fuck? Always be plugging. Number one rule. Always oh, be plugging. Always be plugging. Second rule, monetize your friendships. God damn it, Amber. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I don't play D&D, but I like to listen to some improv idiots from Chicago do it, and I guess that also counts you guys. So, love you. Yeah, it does. That's true. All right, there we go. So, all right, guys, it's time for Devin to talk. So, before we get into anything, I would like to talk about where the Unsleeping City comes from, and it comes from two things specifically. One, Brendan Lee Mulligan is a fucking nerd and a New Yorker. A New Yorker who loves being from New York. I had a quote from Jesus Nice, but I can't seem to find it. Maybe I'll bring it up while I'm editing this episode because Amber's not gonna edit it. But (laughs) Brendan's dad is a New Yorker historian, so he would take him and be like, Brendan, this exact Pizza Hut was where Goldman spoke at Union Square before they took it down. Brendan's like, oh, whatever, I'm six, dad. And the second place it comes from is it was inspired by a Neil Gaiman book, Nevermore, which if you haven't read it, is the most aggressively Londoner book of all time. It is Jay and Silent Bob reboot levels of unapproachable. If you are not from London, that shit makes no sense. So Brendan was like, wait, I can do this about New York. And so he did. And that's where the Unsleeping City comes from. Sounds That's why we have Reggie here. Yay, New York. It's great here. baby. There's rats and other things that are not rats. Like the pigeons who are pets? I know multiple yeah. people with pigeons as pets here. Oh, that's Do you funny. really? Oh yeah, we have one named Jean Jacket. He's very cute. That's cartoonish. It is, but he's like the mascot for one of the art galleries. He's great. He has an Instagram. Jean Jacket's a great name though. It is. JJ for short. Sometimes you gotta scold. That's ugh, wonderful. How do you scold a pigeon? Uh, you say, hey, JJ, get down. Like that. Just like a dog. Oh, and then he flaps okay, yeah. he flap he flaps his little wings and then he comes down. Right, nice. And now we've <laughs> covered real play podcasts before and uh, we'll probably continue, and as I've said before, I will say again, the literal plot is not the most important thing in the world. 
the things your DM sets up are secondary as to how your player characters react to it, so I won't spend a lot of time going over the plot. In brief, a ragtag group of New Yorkers all must come together to undo the scheming machinations of one Robert Moses, who Robert Moses, fun fact, real-life asshole. He's the, re he's the man who built New York's public parks and had a really big hand in all of the public transit. So he's the reason racism is built into those things. And if you're wondering why New York's public transit is not irrevocably fucked, but almost impossible to change and improve, it's because he was an asshole who had a personal driver drive him everywhere. Anyways, if you want to know more about him, check out The Power Broker, because this is not a history podcast. It's a stupid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why does that name sound stupidly familiar? Thanks, Devin. <laughs> You're welcome. So that's the plot in brief. So how I'm going to structure this is I'm going to go over factions that exist in the world, places to make characters. I'm going to go over the main six cast of characters, and then we're going to go over the themes. And hopefully then you should all kind of know how the Unsleeping City works, what it looks like. And if not, we have questions, comments, and concerns. Thing for this episode, our usual question at the end of it. I'm holding the right to withdraw that if this episode runs too long. And I'm also holding the right to not do the thing we set up in the first one where I talk about my character for this setting if the episode runs too long. Here's what we'll do. When this episode gets, when the first episode gets posted, if anyone responds on Twitter, oh, Devin, I'd like to hear about your original character from Sleeping City Season 1, uh, DM me and I'll do a little thing where I talk about it. If not, these episodes run pretty gosh darn long and I don't know that we need to talk about it. So... You think Twitter will still be around by then? I can hope not. <laughs> That's what I was saying. So, I was like, I was like, clear. wow. I like your hope for the future, Dev. <laughs> so we so we made a character in this setting last time. So are we are we're making a different character in the setting? Or are we building on the same character? Yeah, we made setting? a character for Fantasy High, and Fantasy High is not on Sleeping City. Dement. Okay. Got it. I to... Dimension okay. 20, no, I understand isn't it? what's happening now. Okay, at Dimension 20, anthology show. So anyways. The factions. Am I right? I've talked about magic, and maybe magic is something that intrigues you. Well, do I have the place for you? It's called the Gramberty Occult Society. It's where wizards, witches, and warlocks all congregate to look over the Umbral Arcana. The Umbral Arcana is an abjurative force that keeps the unsleeping city mystery to the normies of the world. So it's, in fables they call it glamour, in Artemis Fowl they call it something, in some other book they call it something else. But it's that thing, the force that keeps the magic secret from the Normans. Um, important characters from the Gramity Occult Society are... Alejandro Ortiz, who is my grandpa, if my grandpa had magic, his granddaughters Anna and Amelia, and Esther, who's a uh, by-the-book, light-nonsense, goth wizard, who we will talk about more when we get to Riki Matsui. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this episode going over side characters, and if you want to know why, and you are a fan of Dimension 20, and you're going, hey, you spent a lot of time talking about side characters Fantasy High, it's because Fantasy High is a high school drama so the faces you see every day are the same you see the same faculty member you see your same friend group big city living 
is not a high school. You do not see the same faces every day, so you don't spend as much time with these NPCs, so I don't feel as great a need to go over them in great depth. But now, you might be wondering, magic? Is there any other kinds of magic? And yes, there magic. is. Magic? Devin, are there any other kinds of magic? There is, Amber. Heaven, Hell, and the Land of Fairy are all at play in the Unsleeping City. We don't spend a lot of time with them, so I don't have a lot of characters to pull up from it. We do meet the Jersey Devil in Season 2, and he is a giant piece of shit, because he's from Fuck Jersey. Fuck Jersey. Fuck him. <laughs> I mean, you brought a New Yorker on. What uh, What am I supposed to do? Not take a shot at Jersey? It's fucking no, obligated. that's why you're here. <laughs> Is to take shots at Jersey? Boo. <laughs> no, Ooh, it's okay. Get I'm... Fuck Jersey. You're from <laughs> yes. over there. Ah, uh, the literal EPA trash heap. Don't you love it? Say you love it. Jersey. Speaking of things you love, I bet... Now, that was not the transition I had. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Speaking of poor planning, the mythology isn't always consistent. But anyways, what if you... You're not into magic. You want to stay grounded. Keep your feet on the world. Well then, boy howdy, do I have the faction for you. It's called the Order of the Concrete Fist. They are a collection of monks who protect the waking world from encroaching threats from the dreaming world. So this is where monks go. Important characters from here are Jackson, who is the mentor to one Sophia Lee. We'll get to her because she's a main character. Uh, Dale Lee, the love of Sophia's life. And Method Man, because what a fool would Brendan be if he set up a monk order in New York City and Method Man wasn't a character. But Brendan is no fool, so he did the thing. <laughs> I don't know what Method Man is. is, is that, that feels like something I should know. Oh, you're so fucking white! You're so fucking white yeah. when we're talking about a and d podcast, Amber. Are you learning that you're learning this about me for the first time? I thought you were POC this whole time. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> oh, no. more attentive listeners might have noticed that I said the dreaming world and you might be wondering Amber say the thing what's the dreaming world well you said that the monks go there so I figured it's where the monks go no the monks stay here I forgot to say their catchphrase they're such a grounded people they're so focused on the literal physical world that we all in company that their catchphrase is it is what it is but the dreaming world is the seventh borough of New York City, and you can get there by taking the L train all the way to the end. And it's where dreams happen. It's a liminal space, because a lot of what the Unsleeping City deals with is the... Tangential isn't the right word, ethereal isn't the right word, the effervescent, the liquid, the... the the inconsistent nature of dreams, because once a dream has a form, it kind of doesn't exist anymore. Dreams exist to be achieved, right? So there's all these buildings and lights are constantly going on and off. And that is either, oh man, I want to make a video about ice climbers. I did it. Light goes off. I achieved my dream. Or, 
I want to be a famous juggler. Oh, but I need to pay bills. Uh, now I got kids. Now I gotta stay in this office. I guess I'll keep my balls in the closet. Light went off. Oh. So, the world of... <laughs> so sad now. I was really invested in your juggling dream. <laughs> So the world of dreams is inhabited by various dreams and it's constantly shifting to reflect that nature because dreams don't make sense most of the moment. The most important character is Nod, a.k.a. the Grey Orphan, a.k.a. the Grey Baby. He is the personification of dreams. He is irrevocably tied to the realm. They cannot exist without each other. Other important factions are Becky, the gentrifying bug, Pizza Rat, Moon Owl, the Lady in the Moon, and just various other dream nonsense. <laughs> I mean, it's not New York City without the pizza rat, but it's still funny. That's what I've been told. Even I know the pizza rat. Everyone knows the pizza. The fact that there's multiple pizza rats, very funny to me. Pizza rat rats is the official mascot of, the of New York City. Is <laughs> ours is like a little like a little garbage plate with a pigeon on top, and theirs is just just a rat with. Because I'm upstate, sorry guys, but like yeah, just the biggest rat you've ever seen with the biggest fucking slice, and he's just dragging it down those steps. What a cutie! Love you, pizza rat, and love is something that perhaps blossoms between one Ricky Matsui and Esther. Things I remembered to bring up so they'd make sense if I brought them up later. So let's talk about the main cast, starting with Ricky Matsui, as played by Zach Oyama. Now, how can I define one Ricky Matsui? He's a paladin, and I'm not going to get into my paladin rant, uh, Amber. We're going to do the second Pathfinder episode then. We can talk about paladins then. Sure. But he is a paladin who's not powered by a deity, but he's powered by the concept of civic responsibility. And it's just absurdly wonderful. Ricky is a huh. uncomplicated man. Zakoyama said he's like Superman, but if he was Japanese. And that's it. When you first meet Ricky, he says, yeah, you know, uh, my dream was to be a firefighter. And now I am. So life is good. I, I work out a lot because that's the cheapest form of therapy. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's an absurdly wonderful running gag where Ricky has to take disadvantage on all stealth checks because he's too hot. Everyone recognizes <laughs> him as Mr. Mark. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> he's a himbo. He's an uncomplicatedly good person. But it's not that he's dumb, it's that he's simple. Because Esther, the girl he has a crush on in this will-they-won't-they they relationship, um, she's very into magic, so Ricky is trying to learn the specifics of it. But it's like, the specifics of magic are secondary to the point of, like, I don't need to know why the cresting blade works if I know that I can make it work and that helps my community. And that's Ricky. I think the most character-affirming moment he has in season one is 
Sophia Lee has this big character moment where she's going to burn down her old house because she's been accepted into the Order of the Concrete Fist and she doesn't want that part of her life anymore. And also, maybe possibly an insurance scam. I need to make money. And Ricky, being a firefighter, sees this fire from across the island and swims across that dirty, nasty fucking lake you guys have to separate you from Staten Island. <laughs> and sing and single-handedly puts out a fire and gets interviewed by just a, a, a local news like ricky matsui local hero swam across the canal to put out a fire in jersey ricky what do you have to say and he replies to this catchphrase oh, you know I'm, I'm just doing what anyone would do no no sir that is emphatically untrue not everyone would do this and that's that's ricky matsui and you might be wondering hey Sophia Lee burned her house down. What's up with that? Well, we're going to get into it. Sophia Lee, a.k.a. Sophia Bicicleta, a.k.a. Sophie Bikes, is a pallet, not paladin, is a monk, as played by one Emily Axford. And the quickest way to summarize Sophie is that if Anne Fresher had Jet Li's martial arts capabilities, and you basically know exactly what you're looking at she's a hot-headed italian woman a recent divorcee at start of campaign and her very boring husband dale lee was a fucking math nerd and the calming presence this hot-headed woman needs and sophia is an absolute wreck and is drinking every night because she doesn't want to spend any time alone in her big ass house that only can remind her of her husband and she falls completely ass backwards drunk into the unsleeping city she goes out on a bender and she's so drunk the umbral arcana starts not working and she can see that the guys hitting on girls are eight foot ogres and gets into a fight with them what i I just want to know what had to be rolled for that you feel like (laughs) i it's fine No, that's I'm not expecting you to remember, but just uh D&D, you beautiful bitch. It is. Also, she was like unknowingly a member of the Sleeping City cuz Dale was a member of the Concrete Fist before she knew and her brother was like part of the fairy mob. It's pretty funny. But after she punches and beats up all of those ogres, she's so drunk, she just passes out in the middle of the street and you're like, "Hey man, that's not great." Until she's protected by someone possibly a rat man? Motherfucking Kugrash, yeah. Does he have pizza? Kugrash. No. You meet Pizza Rat. He's his own character. Okay, sure. Oh, okay, good. Kugrash, a.k.a. Bruce Kugrish, is the druid as played by one Brian Murphy. And Kugrash was a white-collar criminal in his everyday life who one day crossed a magical bean and... Uh, what was he in life? A dirty fucking rat. What's he now? A dirty fucking rat man. He is the shepherd of the downtrodden and forgotten members and beings of New York City. He looks after the homeless. He cares for the vermin and the trash and the sewer gators and the pizza rats. When we first okay. meet him, Brian... <laughs> yeah, we first meet him, Brian introduces him as the shit that keeps the flies of New York City alive. Um, He's a wonderful little redemptive man, and because he spent so much time as a rat living in the filth and the muck, 
redemption and second chances or something he unshakably now believes in. There's a bit where things come to a head with Pete and most people do not side on Pete's side. And the first one to step up and step up the loudest and hardest is Kagrash because Kagrash believes people can get better because he gets better and it's his job to help people get better now. And it's very out of character for what Brian tends to play. He tends to play more egalitarian characters. He's talked about ordinarily if I had a character, they wouldn't have sided with Pete, but this one did. I love Kagrash. And being a member of the Unsleeping City, he's been around a while, but he mostly spends time in the muck, in the swamp. He doesn't go uptown very often, except for one one absolutely fabulous woman that he does know. Because now we're talking about Misty Moore, a.k.a. Rowan Barry, our Broadway diva. And let me tell you guys, I'm a big fan of bards. It's my favorite class. I'm a big fan of Dimension 20. I know this about you. I don't you. have a lot of bards. What'd you say? I know this about you, that you love bards. I do. Figaroth Faith didn't flirt with a lot of people. Mother Goose in the current series at time of recording, he's not flirting with a lot of people. He's a happily married man. I was so overjoyed to have a bard who was flirting with people. God, I love a horny bard. Yeah, you do. And Misty Moore is exactly that. Misty Moore as played by Chiffon Thompson. The best way to summarize Misty Moore immediately is, Reggie, hopefully this makes sense to you because... Chauvin was explaining it and talking about an elderly rich white woman from upstate New York who has a very big hat and made a point (laughs) to bring up the bigness of the hat, but I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) So, so here's the thing. Upstate New York is a bunch of like milquetoast liberals with way too much money and way too much land who like to do cottagecore, but also need everything to be handed to them within five seconds or they'll cry. So it's like Karens who don't want to be Karens. And yeah, I would say that all of them have weird hats, but I wouldn't say that they're large. I would just say that they're weird. You know, like, uh, like the queen, you know, like all the, yeah, like all the, they have like the, like, they're like, oh, I'm going to the theater. So I have to have like a hat with a brooch on it. And you're like, okay. Buy a ticket. Uh, hi, can you tell where I work? Um, but uh, but yes, I, I would say that an, a, a slightly odd upstate white lady makes perfect sense to me. So, yeah. Excellent. And speaking of the theater, there's actually a wonderful fight that takes place because as a bard her specific type of performance is a theater diva, right? And her corporeal form is literally sustained by the adulation of the crowd, which leads to this running joke that made me so upset where Misty Moore would meet a fan and she'd be like, oh my god, Misty Moore! And Brennan would be sure to point out that they're from the Midwest, and I was like, that's not what we sound like, Brennan. Why is this you think what I am, mm-hmm. Brennan? Let me on your show, Brennan. You see, Brennan, I'm already setting it up. All right, rivals to lovers. Okay, man, it's it's gonna be great when I'm there. It'll it'll be wonderful, Brennan. Remember, everyone, when this episode goes up, at Brennan at Dimension Twenty at Dropout at College Humor, and tell them to let me be on their show. But anyways, fight scene that takes place during a play. Uh, 
everyone had to roll performance checks so that the crowd was like, oh, okay, I see what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and Ricky was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I know theater, but I think I get it now. And he just strips naked and starts doing interpretations. <laughs> Uh, and I've got two theater queers. This one might get another pop. But Stephen Sondheim was an NPC and became a member of the Unsleeping City and started to do combat. That's funny. <laughs> no, not some. I just... Here's the thing. One of the ongoing jokes for the box office is that the worst thing that could possibly happen is that the stage and stuff isn't set up or the people don't get there and then we have to go out and practice, like, do our stand-up that we practice with each other. So the joke of, oh, God, everything's going to go wrong. I'm going to have to go perform is, like, actually a pretty constant joke in both theaters I've worked in. So somehow that works really well that it ends up being like a, oh, performance check. And it's just like, fuck, it, it, it's happening. <laughs> like, we're actually <laughs> having to go on stage and... I remember 50% of guys and dolls, somebody has to be the doll, because I only remember the guy parts. Uh, that That's a joke. It's it's fine. But <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, no. It's great. That's great. so gorgeous. I, hey, I love this show. I haven't even listened to it. Thanks, Devin. <laughs> You're welcome. But uh, back to Misty Moore, because uh, she does go over character arc where it's like she's lived several lifetimes her body's remade that's why it's Ro- misty moore aka rowan barry because over the course of the series she's born again as rowan barry and she's young and hot and pete the plug can't handle it and it's fucking hilarious but she's not responsible she may or may not have taken the name and vestige of the fairy queen who becomes very upset over the course of the series but through Spending time with these people, with Kingston Brown, with Pete, with Cug Rash, she learns responsibility and maybe I should care more about court, uh, the fairy court, than not at all. Um, So yeah, Misty's cool, gets her little arc, and I just talked about Pete the Plug several times. Because now, we're at the loans I've saved for last. Kingston Brown, man from uptown... And your, uh, we stan trans mask non-binary icons. Shout out to you, Pete the Plug. I saved them for last because they are the most, not plot significant, but, you know, you'll have the ones that are the main characters. And in terms of a lore perspective, they are the most significant because Kingston Brown, Pete the Plug are the Vox Populi and Vox Phantasma, respectively. If you speak Latin, you don't, because it's a useless dead language. You'll know that Vox Populi means voice of the people. And the full quote, Elon, is do not mistake the voice of the people for the voice of God, for the crowd is subject to madness. You stupid, insecure man. Timely reference whilst we're recording, even more timely when this episode gets up. We won't even have Twitter. It'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whoop there it is uh <laughs> i'll be sad i'll miss twitter i i've been off it for two weeks and there is a hole but then i just filled it up with other things so congrats sounds like it was cool. i like twitter but it's also terrible <laughs> it's like heroin like i'm sure it's fun when you're doing it but like after you're like done you're like oh that sucked so you know 
<laughs> and then you go back anyway, and then you're like, oh, wait, I forgot this sucks. Fun fact. Speaking oh, fun. Heroin, Pete the Plug <laughs> deals drugs, but we're going to talk about him last because I have a lot to say. I'm gonna start with oh, Houston a man with the plug in his name sells <laughs> drugs? I could not have guessed. Thank God, I knew you were all clever, sexy sausages, just like all of you listeners, you clever, sexy sausages. Mmm. Nom 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 nom. What? Merch when? <laughs> that was a, that was a William Regal reference I knew none of you were gonna get. <laughs> Sausage party episode when? Never. That's when. Shut That's right. the fuck up. You're right. <laughs> But anyways, Kingston Brown, man from uptown, is a cleric who is powered by the people of New York City, as per being the voice of them. Lou Wilson describes him as all of his positive traits and aspirational goals turned up to 10. Kingston loves his community, right? It's Barry Allen is cool because he is the man who makes the self-sacrifice play 10 out of 10 times. It is not a question. It is simply what Barry Allen does. That for Kingston, but about the people of New York. He will make the play to put New York over himself time and time again. Being the Vox Populi has not come without its detriments to himself. He has given up. There's a bit where they're like, Kingston, you can have a, because Kingston's a nurse, you can have a, a career in the medical field. You could be rich, but it would mean leaving New York, and he can't do it. He gives up a, a spot for his cousin because it would mean leaving New York being the voice of the people being invested in the unsleeping city put an enormous strain on his marriage Kingston is a divorcee at start of series and not to paint him all with rose tinted glasses because characters need dimensionality and depth putting New York above everything can come at the face of putting New York in front of individuals because Pete the Plug is a wild magic sorcerer. And Reggie, I'm going to assume you don't know what that means? I mean, probably not. Not okay, really. So real quick, there are various types of spellcasters in D&D. Wizards are boring and they read books and work hard. Shut the Shut fuck up. up. Wizards are cool. Sorcerers. Fuck you. Wiz- wizards suck. We'll talk about this big time on our Pathfinder episode. I just Sorcerers relate to them are a like, lot. More like like avant-garde that i just know that they have a bad rep sorcerers they just have a source of magic most of the time they're like trust fund parents because they're like demigods or dragon parents or whatever but magic sorcerers specifically you just harness like the chaotic ethereal nature of magic and your body can't always handle it so you'll have to make a magic wild surge anytime you cast a spell you roll the dice and if it lands on a one something is going to happen good bad i don't know but something's going to happen every time you pass that number goes up so eventually your wild magic surge just explodes and it's very reflective of who pete is and where he is at start of campaign not having a grasp on life so anyways pete is potentially detrimental to the whole of New York, and they're asking what to do about it. And Kingston goes, oh, no, it's it's simple. If it comes down to we can't contain Pete, we put him down. If it's between Pete or New York, 10 out of 10 times, I pick New York. 
Um, and that's when Kugrash is the one to step up and back up Pete, and it's a, it's a, it's a great moment. But Kingston softens on Pete because they get a whole, like, pseudo-father type relationship, mentor-mentee. They're best friends come end of campaign. They get matching tattoos, and it's Kingston's first tattoo. It's fun. And now we're on to Pete the Plug, as played by Allie Beardsley. And I want to start by talking about, and I'm just now realizing I'm about to talk <laughs> about Pete the Plug, particularly not only as Legabata rep, but as a trans rep. And I'm talking to both Reggie and Amber. So, you Hi. know, if I get my foot in my mouth at any point, just, uh, you know, don't. Then I don't will make fun of you forever. Then I will never let it go. I will ruin your life. I will hound you about it. I will cancel you on whatever platform comes after Twitter. But also, um, both of you are white, so if at any point you talk over me or criticize me, um, canceled. Racist. Uh, take that. <laughs> really at a nuclear stalemate here, the two of us, huh? So, we are talking about New York, so it does double entendre there. We are doing the Spider-Man meme where he's pointing at himself, so... <laughs> <laughs> So Pete the Plug as trans and legabata rep. The thing I like about Pete that's refreshing for rep is that I know queer people. I know Me trans too. people in particular. I've been around them when they transition. And there's a period of time where after you figure out what the identity thing is and you start taking the hormones that you're... Oh, fuck it, I'll say it. You're a slop, nasty mess. You're you're no, it's fucking embarrassing for a while. <laughs> It's bad, actually. You're not wrong. Because <laughs> you're going through puberty again, and puberty sucks for everyone. And so the fact that Pete is a fucking mess, he's a wreck, <laughs> like half of the series, was so goddamn refreshing and fun. And also, just like the fun synchronicity of like tabletop RPGs can affect your everyday life. Allie Beardsley talks about like doing research for Pete's top surgery to know what kind of headspace to be in and a character who just had this and also in the back of their mind being like, is this like stuff I want and I'm going to do one day? Magical thing that can happen in D&D. Shout out to that one, to that one, I believe Korean, to that one girl of an Asian diaspora who's a famous D&D player whose name I can't remember, who was quoted as saying, my female characters started making out with girls long before I did. D&D, crazy what'll happen in a game fundamentally about being the person you want to be. Are you saying D&D makes you gay? Kinda, yeah. Cool. <laughs> be gay, roll dice. <laughs> joke but anyways pete the plug as uh just outside of terms of rep and being refreshing for them being a slop nasty bitch um pete's a goddamn wreck and it's not all directly tied to the queerness it is also pete's going through a breakup pete just fell ass backwards into magical powers is the voice of dreams and has a relationship with nod and magic that they can't control and god the breakup with Priya is hilarious because it's like yeah, uh, you know, I lost, I deleted her number, I was doing good, but then I found it in early Instagram messages. That was a mistake, and now it's just a wall of text, and it's all from me. And I was like, ooh, buddy, big same. We've all done it. Rip. 
And to uh, pull out another shield to protect myself from any allegations of transphobia, and that shield uh, is Hans. <laughs> when I made Hans watch this series, it was because Pete would do things like, oh, that's Hans. And repeatedly throughout it, Hans would text me and be like, I hate how much of my own life is being reflected back to me and Pete the plug. Fuck you, Devin. <laughs> but yeah, so Pete, not a lot of handle on life, is a drug dealer with an obnoxious amount of money and is not ever thinking about the ramifications or effects that has on community until hangs out with both Ricky Matsu and Kingston Brown, who are all about community. And there's this wonderful look in the mirror moment where Pete goes to their drug dealer, this fucking... <laughs> this horrible little online goblin seven. And he's like, Pete, you're going to go sell those drugs to high schoolers. And Pete goes, yeah, wait, I am going to sell drugs to high schoolers. Fuck, man. <laughs> But it's just great, because Seven, in a dark room, surrounded by all the monitors, is just like, what, Pete, are you having second thoughts? Do you see this right now? You see all these numbers on screens going up saying I'm rich? I never have to see another human being in my life. I'm living the American dream, baby. Now deal those drugs. So that's Pete. That's most of the cast. That is some side characters. And real quick, I'm going to go over what the Unsleeping City tackles on a thematic note, because if we do decide to make a party member a main cast, it is important to understand this, even though I know Amber, you are pathologically allergic to making main characters. Interesting. Am I pathologically allergic to making main characters? Well, you're not not. Huh. Okay. As, as a listener, you're not not. <laughs> I guess I just never considered making a main character. It just feels like the, like we talk about franchises that already have main characters. I'm not going to come on down on it one way or the other. I'm just going to, that is an observation. It is simply a fact. Yeah, fair enough. Is what it is. Just like the concrete fist, baby. See, I remembered a thing. There. Look. Uh, oh, so one of my favorite podcasts has a segment called I Listen to My Co-Hosts, and I think I just won my first point. <laughs> <laughs> Someone be sure to write that down. So we've talked about the dreaming world and how the ethereal nature of dreams to give form to a dream is kind of to kill it. Some dreams are too big too big to ever be realized, to ever be given one solid form, one solidified answer that you can point to. Dreams can't have an objective. And if you're a particularly clever sausage, and I know all of you are, you're probably thinking, hey, Devin, is it the American dream? And yes, yes, it is. One of my favorite bits, because the final boss they fight is the American dream. And as Brendan is describing this buxom, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, strong-jawed, white man in a khaki and a polo tee, Siobhan Thompson just says out loud, it's the fucking Protestant work ethic, and it's a wonderful call, because it is! They have to fight the Protestant work ethic. That's the last fight of season one. And Brendan does a very me move, where he has to talk to each player one-on-one, -on -one, and they go over, like, what the American dream means to them. So, like, Ricky Matsui sees the uh, platonic... American immigrant story coming across the aisle with 
nothing but 12 bucks in your pocket and a dream and just fucking making it. Kingston sees the ability to build community uh, unto itself and be better than what you were before. Generations living here and staying here. Kagrash sees a lie. He sees a fucking rat. Uh, my character, Romeo Pasquala, definitely sees a lie. He sees a lie that's propagated and that we send out in the world to potentially have a victim class and then we victimize those people for coming here. Can you guess where I land on the political spectrum? So that's the Unsleeping City, those are factions at play to know where you want, might want to build characters. Those are the main characters to know vibes and classes that are at play. And those are the big thematic things it tackles to know if those are things we need to know about. Do you have any questions, comments, concerns? Has any of this made sense? It has all made sense, I think. All right, cool. Reg? I, I feel like I followed despite having not played D&D in 10 years. All right, excellent. Um, I've talked for a while. What? what uh, someone else? So, someone, <laughs> someone else go ideas. It's Amber's turn for sure. Um. Uh. I. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of information to digest here. I've just been attacked for being allergic to making main characters. So, like, do we make a main character? What does that look like? Um, making a main character in an existing story. I don't know, you just kind of do it, and then, well, you do it, and then, okay, I'm gonna get real fucking personal. Uh, I almost always make main characters when I make OCs, and the first one I ever did was a Digimon OC, and literally, I would watch it, I'd watch the episode on YouTube, I would pause, I would pace back and forth in my house, thinking about how my character reacted to the events that just unfolded. That's it's mostly what like a main character OC is. You're just thinking about how they'd react to the story as it progresses, as opposed to just making someone who kind of exists in the world, I think. You were a Digimon kid, is what I just learned. Is that? I feel like most people know that. I feel like I didn't know that you were a Digimon. Because like, I feel like you had to choose a camp. And I was, like, gently Naruto, and I know a lot of people were, like, Dragon Ball Z. I just didn't realize that you were a Digimon kid. Am <laughs> I think that you were Pokemon, so, like, huh. No, I made fun of these nerds for being Pokemon people. Well, that, no, I was saying Am, I think uh, Amber is. Yeah. Okay, sorry, unrelated. I just, I... I, I acquire, I just learned something about somebody. Wow. Information unlocked. Yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like. I'm just like, huh. But also, that's really sweet that, like, look, you're an adult and you still get to make OCs all the time. Like, isn't life fun and cyclical? It is. It's lovely. Like Norse mythology, my favorite mythology. God of War Ragnarok was kind of a letdown. I'll be honest, everyone. <laughs> did you... This is, like, maybe more of an Amber thing. But did, did you see that they submitted, like... I think it was, like, Thor Love and Thunder or something for, like, the Oscars in multiple categories? And I was like, oh, sweetie. Oh, sweetie, no. I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, it's a thing that they do for... Like publicity sake, basically. Um, 
I, I very much doubt they were expecting it to go anywhere. It's kind of sad to watch. I don't know. It's like somebody. It's like watching somebody try to fill up a bucket with holes in the bottom. You're like, oh, can I help you somehow? <laughs> like, don't do that. I I don't know. <laughs> that was a very Midwestern thing. I I don't know. Also, am I getting an accent yet? J- completely unrelated. Do I sound New Yorkerish yet? No, not really. Not to me. The depression of upstate. Mm-mm. Upstate's just nasal. We don't get the fun uh, New Yorker. We none of that, sadly. I will say, talking about New York accents, my buddy C, um, he's from the Bronx, so I was like, "Hey, do y'all really be saying yer?" And he went, "Yer." And I tried to explain to him how the Midwest, Indiana in particular, we don't have an equivalent. And I was like, well, the closest we have is uh, if you, like, run into each other, you're almost about to walk into each other. You get in your, like, oh. tiptoes and you go, oh, sorry. And he was like, what the fuck? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I still say ope to people here and they have no clue what the fuck I'm on. Wait, really? I'm just like, ope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, ope, People ope. don't get that. Yeah, literally, I'm like, ope, sorry about that. And they're like, Okay. Like, when they bump into you, they just kind of look at you and then keep going, because New Yorkers are rude. (laughs) It's a different culture. Here's the thing. It's a different culture. It's fine. I had to explain to somebody what a cheese Danish was yesterday. We don't talk about it. We move on. It's fine. Oh, sorry. It's some Midwestern shit. Yeah. Apologizing to anyone ever for something that just happens, Midwestern is shit. Just saying. But speaking of Midwestern, New York. That's a transition. Everyone pretend it was good. Reggie, you're from New York. What's uh what's what's New York energy that would interest you about making a character in a fantasy setting? It seems like the unsleeping city is very specifically downstate, like New York City. And everyone there is meaner than they are here. And I think everyone up here is already kind of slightly mean. Comparatively. Because, like, if somebody hates you in the Midwest, they would never fucking tell you, you know? They'd still bring a dish to your potluck. And then talk shit behind your back. It's fine. But, like, in New York, they would just be like, yeah, fuck you. And then never speak to you again. So, I don't know what the energy is, but I just know that that person has to be very like a very strong-willed very curt kind of person you know this is all still like like, like not it's a pushover D specifically right so we also like want to be thinking about like 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 that's a that's like a fighter right or a um i don't know a wizard or something a fighter yeah, definitely a makes point. a lot of sense just saying any fu- like i'm not good at classes so I know that there are multiple fighter classes. You'll have to help me. But I would definitely say that would make sense for definitely for a downstate person. Speaking of classes, Monk, Sophie, that's a better transition. I just remembered a recurring bit that I wanted to say and I forgot to. So Sophie lives in Staten Island and will repeatedly try to get members of the party to come over. There's a point where Pete, like, doesn't have a place to stay. And Sophie's like, I have a whole house and a guest bed. And he's like, really? Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, you just have to cross the ferry to Staten Island. So, Kingston, (laughs) you said you had a couch I could crash on? 
<laughs> no, no that's it though it's they're not wrong like they're still there's spots here that i'm like no i'm okay we have an ice cream shop here like i don't need to go to insert any s- suburb here yeah the snootiness is a thing all right so we're feeling strong-willed rude fight dude Rude, rude in our view as Midwesterners, yes. So, yes. I am really, uh, I think, interested in, if we're taking this direction, I was really intrigued by the monks. Um, and I think monk makes a lot of sense as mm-hmm. a way to go here. That is a fighting type, you know, uh, brand class, uh, like characterized by having a strong will. And I really like the Dreamlands and would be excited about doing some character stuff there. Okay, okay. So a member of the Concrete Fist. They sounded real cool. I love all the... They did sound cool, right? (laughs) I mean, Concrete Fist immediately is like, yeah, great name. So has to has to be cool, hopefully. But yeah, I didn't know that monks were a fighting type. So this is where you guys have to like fucking. Oh, what is me. fighting type like? Like it's not like Pokemon where you have different like elemental types of classes. Like they all fight and they all fight in different ways. Um, and monks also fight people. Um, and they do it by uh, martial combat and sort of. Like almost psychic willpower. So like Wongers from like Marvel. I should say Wong. I'm sorry. I just watched She-Hulk. So monks get to use key. So you get to be your super special Goku OC as opposed to a fighter who is just proficient with weapons. Do you feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So sorry for not knowing more. Oh, no, it's fine. If, li- listen, listen, listen. If you don't know, there's a good chance that someone in the audience doesn't know. So we'd be doing a poor job of explaining it if we didn't let the audience know. Right, audience? At me in the The audience comments. so audience. agrees with you, Devin. Wow, I love that. I love when the audience agrees with me. <laughs> Mood. So I think you might have to explain, like, I don't think I understand. I do understand like the dreamland aspect of it, but what does one do there? Is it, I, and I hate to use this, but is it like a Diagon Alley situation where you're just like, oh, I'm here with the magic users now and not with the plebeians. Like somebody give me a better comparison I bet. Okay, yeah, no, no, no. It's it's uh, it's good to ask questions. So, we all sort of enter the dreaming world when we're sleeping, but if you want to get there in a way to, like, do things and interact, you have to take the L train all the way to the end. But it's its its own, it's its own plane, right? So, like, heaven, hell, fairy, those are all yeah. planes. The dreaming world is its own plane. And so most metaphysical. Things in the, yeah. And a lot okay. of things in the dreaming world 
want to come in the waking world and exist in liminal space, there's this big fight with um, Becky, the gentrification bug, who brings a bunch of her bugs who want to gentrify the Bronx. Um, the reason the Concrete Fists don't like it is because they're not about this hippie nonsense liminal dream space stuff. And very often when things come from the dreaming world, it's to make havoc because dreams are chaotic, screaming nonsense and they want to have a good time, baby. I just figured out what it's like to exist. I'm going to go do drugs. Yeah. The dreaming world has like portals to other places so like if you go to if you go to nod that's when they go to hell for a second you can get to heaven there also i don't remember if i said santa's real but santa's canon santa's alive and he's dead is one of my favorite lines <laughs> this is how much of not a new yorker i am the first episode is about SantaCon, and they kept saying it like it's a thing i'm supposed to fucking know and i was like what is this you don't know about SantaCon? no and then i found out the episode of Jesus and marrow where they covered SantaCon. <laughs> Yeah, it's a thing. It's just all the people who look like Santa at a con. Is what it sounds like right there on the wrapper. Sounds I wish I didn't know. Oh, I'm sure it is. We also have, like, I'm trying not to dox myself too much, but we did just literally yesterday have a bunch of people dressed up as Santas running through the middle of town. So it's just a thing. In the Unsleeping City, all of those are Santa's clones, because Santa doesn't use magic to deliver all the presents. He uses clones, and uh, that's their last day on Earth. They all die at SantaCon. Yes, the ethics, the ethics of that are questionable and alarming. Oh my god. They kill Santa? <laughs> Robert Moses kills Santa. And then Wally's son... Uh, be- <laughs> and then Robert Bruce's Moses son Wally becomes the Santa. new <laughs> Robert Moses <laughs> kills Santa. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, I'm feeling the chaos now. I get it. <laughs> okay. So. Um, uh, I'm gonna say a couple of words, and you're gonna tell me if any of it makes sense, and also if it's a little bit too Doctor Strange. Um, so, I'm imagining, um, dude who runs, like, a, a corner-side pharmacy, you know, like, one of the, like, yeah, I've, That's I'm a thinking, bodega. like, like a bodega, but, like, but, like, where you can pick up your prescriptions, or maybe I do just make it a bodega and also he, like, uh, does a lot of, like, over-the-counter pills and stuff. Um, uh, and, uh, the dude develops a, um, I don't know, maybe he develops a habit or he has a bunch of, he, like, develops a customer base who all are going after some, like, particular, uh, uh, med that he stocks. Um, uh, that, like, maybe he's not supposed to stock, maybe it's straight up a drug, maybe he, like, has an import connection, but he has this, like, little bodega that has, um, some kind of a med, um, uh, which gives people nightmares, um, and the dude isn't necessarily into that, but it makes his bodega, like, a hotspot for Dreamland's activity, um, because all the people who are frequenting it there keep having these really strong medicated connections to the dream world 
Um, and so then that drives him into connection with this brotherhood that we're really excited about. Um, and then you get this like this like quintessentially New York thing with the bodega owner. Um, this connection with the um, the monks that we're really excited about. Um, I don't know. Maybe some room for us to go in other directions. What is what? I don't know. Those are a few random thoughts I had. They're gorgeous. Thank you for sharing your thoughts because I love that. It definitely feels like a start, but not like a like there's more that needs to go in there. It does give at least one connection to Pete. It's true. So that helps. Like at least an obvious one. Do we think that do we think that like he's Pete's supplier of something? Pete is his supplier of something? I think Pete would be his supplier of this nightmare drug and then and then follow question is he doing the nightmare drug or is he just selling it to people it could start off that way and then work one way or the other you feel gotta give this poor person an arc arc is is the question Uh, is whether it's an arc where where he gets better or an arc where he gets worse (laughs) correct how are we feeling today? Positive or negative? I guess I'm trying to answer me the question of what would make someone want to take a drug. Right. That gives so presumably the nightmares. the nightmares are a side effect. Um, uh, the real effect, maybe it like like part of me is like, oh, it like is some kind of um, uh, anti-allergenic or something like that. Um, or it's psychoactive, maybe. Um, uh, but my, uh, but I'm wondering if there is anything fantasy we can do with this setting that this drug would be an answer to. If maybe it is a a magic drug that gives you, oh no, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have an idea. Okay, so the Sandman, right? These are like sleeping pills that give you the best sleep you've ever had a fully deep you feel like you've slept for a goddamn month it's wonderful side effects include uh nightmares so the monkey's so like he's caught. got some of the sandman sand right, and he's right. talking it right so okay okay so it gives you nightmares but you don't remember them after you wake up um, and so maybe it like even takes a little while in the story to like figure out what's happening, why there's like so much dream activity happening here um, is because when people wake up, um, they don't remember the really, really intense nightmares that they've been having. But of course, the nightmare creatures um, still get to use that as a way of getting into the world. Is this like half of a plot to Kingdom Hearts? I, I feel like fucking every episode we do. Um, uh, I hear someone be like, oh, that's like Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> All right, here's my hot take. This episode is going to be long and is long. I'm refusing the Kingdom Hearts question because that will, <laughs> I will spend an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Excellent call. <laughs> Sorry. No, I just fine, like I keep picturing the little shadow creatures every time like I'm like watching them crawl crawl out of the subway tunnel in my head. So, so. okay. Um so uh 
why do people at this bodega need the sleep drug? Possibly because it's like a particularly noisy part of New York. Either we mean that very locally, like it's right next to the subway and um, it's really loud. <laughs> Times what? Square. Times Square is infamous for being the worst Honestly, place to live. Times Square is not a bad one. I mean, it's iconic and then also it uh, makes story sense. Because you can't walk through it. It's tourists all the time. It's literally just like everything is on. There's so much fucking light. Like, I live not even that far downtown in obviously different city, but like the street light is even with my apartment window. I cannot explain to you how frustrating that is. So I cannot even imagine living anywhere near one of those fucking like stupid advertisement boards and people live there and i'm like how like you would have to have five sleeping masks on i the don't real understand answer so that makes that they buy magic sleeping pills from this guy correct yes where are, correct because how how where else are the they monks sleep? in the city Devin? do we have a sense for where they live in a floating palace above staten island Reggie, where is that relative to Times Square? Uh, I love to tell you I have no clue. I've been to New York City, like, proper twice in my entire life, both for business meetings right, and Hell's Kitchen. Google Maps, so. let's go. Was Daredevil there? If Daredevil was there, I sure as fuck would not be here. So, whack. Matt Murdock is my fucking husband. Do we not remember the last episode? Don't get me started. I do. <laughs> I do too. So yeah, the Order of the Concrete Fist, they're localized in Staten Island. That's where the base of operations is, but they operate throughout the whole of New York City. Sophie has a big moment where she solves the who's the special chosen one prophecy on top of the statue of liberty wait yeah statue is that it that, that's the one right statue of liberty is something that there is in new york city yeah give us your uh your your poor your stupid your hungry uh -huh. masses yep they, they don't say stupid but uh good try. food stamps or something wow i have to say like i don't remember it like that but maybe they updated it <laughs> <laughs> you poor you're stupid motherfucker <laughs> That's what the French wanted to write, but they were too scared. <laughs> oh. oh, that'd be awesome if we found that document where it's like, oh, we uncovered something. Apparently the French were being petty bitches. Yeah, it's always been suspicious to me that France gave us something out of the niceness of their heart. Speaking like, of France, mm. fucking lost to Argentina in the World Cup. Get the fuck out of here. Where was the I defense? Know, I was so happy. I was so happy because I was rooting against all of the European teams. I'm like, you don't deserve this. You have enough. Let somebody else have it. I was rooting for Mexico, and then they got bumped out. Mexico then I was rooting like for Morocco. Shit. Yeah, they fucking did. I was like, God damn it, why did I choose you and then morocco was like the last country that i was like okay well and then they lost and i was like well i'm just fucking out of it i guess 
but not France was who I was rooting for. So go Argentina. Fucking Korea played Woo. like, God damn it, Korea with their fairy tale comeback only to lose the next fucking day broke my heart. God damn. The entire World Cup was just me getting like pushed up and then let down, and Honestly. all the guys in the office, their entire bets all just destroyed. So we're we're fine. Okay. I'm going to ask a couple of uh, pointed questions, a couple of leading questions to both of you, and you're going to make up answers for them, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Devin, um, uh, what positive relationship does our character form with the nightmare creatures? I think our bodega runner... Probably someone of Iranian descent, so can relate to people wanting to immigrate to New York City. Even if they are nightmare <laughs> creatures. And so and so we treat the nightmare creatures as like sympathetic people who like don't necessarily want to be living in their nightmare realm. Is that what it is? At least these ones, yeah, and maybe there are some, you know, bad act. You know, the Nightmare Realm isn't sending their best, right? Yeah. Right. Sure. Uh huh. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Uh, Reggie, using what magical means is he keeping the bodega safe? My guess. Okay, so maybe I don't understand what a sorcerer is, but my guess is if it's probably some chaotic street magic of some sort. So like, oh, my, oh, I know a guy. So let me call my guy. I'll have him over here to help you out. One of those kinds of deals. Sure. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know a guy who knows all the protection spells. Let me just, yeah, he'll be over tomorrow. His name's Vinny. You give him a 10, blah, blah, you know, one of those. Everybody knows Vinny. (laughs) Yeah, Vinny's the guy for that. Um, uh, Okay, Devin, how long, or not how long, uh, uh, what, what does our guy, what does our bodega owner know Pete from originally? How do they know each other? Hmm. I think when Pete first broke up with Priya and was taking it super hard, got shit face blasted, ended up in a bodega way outside of his little burrow, and just started chatting this dude up for hours, and there wasn't a lot of business, so he just listened. And uh, woke up the next day. I was like, hey, man, sorry for talking your ear off. I'm like, no, 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 it's good. Listen, I don't own a bar, but sometimes you got to listen to people, man. G- g- give me your number if you ever need to talk again. And then Reggie, uh, tell me about our shopkeeper, this, this, this shop's bodega cat. Oh, my God. What okay. makes that cat special? So, we... That cat has to have some kind of shenanigans going on. So, like, right, we're, uh, it's all about dreams. C- 
cats sleep for like 18 hours a day, right? Like just scientifically, cats are more asleep than awake. So like that dude, like this cat has to be having so many dreams and accidentally like, you know, like I don't understand exactly the dream mechanics, but like that cat has a lot of dreams. And how often is a cat fulfilling any of its dreams, right? So like there, mu- it's just like the dream activity on a cat must be popping Is the cat off. like... But you have to think it's probably all po- positive. So, like, maybe the positive kitty dreams are part of what is making yeah. things safe from all the, the negative nightmares. The cat is, like, nightmare. warding the bodega like cat- by dreaming positively about it. Correct. Just like, oh, cat dreams about eating a thing that it will never be able to reach on the highest shelf. And that tiny little, that tiny little dream wards off a little bit. But then you got, like, again, 18 hours a day or something crazy. Like, you might be 16, but, like, just mostly asleep. So, like, by just sleeping on top of all of the bread rolls or whatever bodega cats do, it is accidentally helping I keep love everyone safe. I do, too. I also love that. We should name The cat him. or the guy? <laughs> I also want this cat... <laughs> Both. I also I also want this cat to be fat. I want a very fat cat, and that's why he can't get to the top <laughs> shelf. Just can't do it. <laughs> that's Bunch a great cat. <laughs> Takes a pet like no problem. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> I yes, we should name both. But I was thinking the cat. But you guys are right. Maybe we should name our character. <laughs> I have priorities. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> the, the fucking the comedic timing on that cat holy shit let yes. them on fucking dimension 20 so uh that's holly um and i think she was protesting the fact that the person was gonna get a name before the cat um she's I'm very thinking... cat forward I'm thinking Our joke Quilters. is that if we ever get a like a box office cat, we name it Stubbs. So maybe something to do with like, I don't know, receipt or something fun. <laughs> I like a good inanimate object name. Like one of my favorite podcasters, his cat's name is Brisket. Quick, Amber, what's your go-to gas station snack? Uh, the flaming hot Cheeto fries. The like, the like Chester's. The like Chester's flaming hot things. It's not Cheetos. It's Cheeto fries. It's like a different. Those ones. Oh, those ones. Name him Fries. The cat's <laughs> name is Fries. Fries. Fries works. And we can call the guy Amir. A little too close. To some names, but yes, I will accept it. I forgot for that me. would be close to some other names. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and it's fine. We're so Great. Over glad it. to hear it. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> what else do we need to know about Amir? Maybe like family slash friends, because like what gets what gets him into the group? Yeah, I think that's my, also people. my question is, is... You know, like, Pete's a good stepping stone. 
But Devin, you're more familiar with the main characters. You don't spend a lot of time with people's family. You meet Pete's dad and he sucks. He dead names Pete. Fun fact, Dimension 20 on Sleeping City is the first time I heard the term dead naming. Um, and then he gets whisked off into the dreaming world. And because he spends six months in a world of nonsense dreams, his mind is just more open to possibilities. He gets it. Um, Kingston's parents are just kind of nice and they, they think he's not eating enough. You meet Ricky's sister for a scene. You don't meet any of Misty's family. Oh, you meet uh, Cugrash's kids. Wally is an absurdly sweethearted dullard. And his other kid, Willie, um, is not going to easily forgive his dad. Um, so you can have the family involved as much or as little as you want, I think is the point I'm making. Is there like a lot of friendships or is it you mostly saying, are you mostly saying the friendships between the people on the, who are at the table? Um, no, those are the most defined relationships. They all have a strong bond with each other. The thing that's cool about Unsleeping City as a setting, I think I'm doing the thing where I'm getting away from the question, but anyways, the thing that's cool about Unsleeping City as a setting is despite all of them being defenders of New York, arch heroes on a quest, they also have day jobs and bills to pay. So they see each other as much as you see like an adult friend when you have an adult job and responsibilities. Once a month. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. But no, like... Yeah, they're in is Pete, and then Pete knows magical goings-on, and then they have a fight there, and then finds out is part of the unsleeping city and either wants to be a part of that or doesn't. Um, I definitely think the in is Pete. Okay, here's, here's my question for Amir. This whole dealing sleep drugs, how does that little side quest wrap up? What's the what's the ending for that story arc? I imagine it gets resolved once they become a member of the group, but how do we feel like that ends? Maybe because he doesn't understand what it's doing because he doesn't know about the sleeping city. Maybe once they actually introduce, like, here are, like, We've been dealing with this and we had no clue what the problem was. Maybe it's a, oops, I'm going to not do that. Sorry for making everything bad. But maybe put more eloquently than that. Yeah, it's very Black Power Ranger from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movies where he learns the responsibility of actions and then can relate to both Pete and Rowan. I think there's like a militive penance to Amir. Yeah, like, oh, just trying to just trying to do your best. This is what's making the most money. This is what's keeping the lights on. Dear God, how do I pay the rent on this business? And then realizing, oh my God, is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah, like that makes sense to me. Amber, what other questions you got to make Amir feel more full? Yeah, it still doesn't feel like I quite understand um, how Amir fits into 
the main storyline. Like, okay, like you said that the way we do a main character is we ask how that character responds to the um like events of the storyline so like what is the what does the climax of the story look like how does amir fit into the end of the whole season end game through magical shenanigans involving the big boots of bix and bobbins santa claus is naughty and nice list and robert moses is immortal soul he attempts to summon the american dream into the real world um Whilst the American dream is in a liminal state, our party goes to confront him. They summon various allies to fight the American dream. They have the one-on-one scene wherein they define what the American dream is and have a conversation with it. They eventually defeat it. Uh, A few people die. A few people don't. Uh, Denouement. That's that's kind of the climax. I mean, that's like sort of perfect, right? Is um like we have a small business owner, um uh like 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 having 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 a small business owner confronting the American dream feels um like almost too perfect, um uh because like presumably. And and like and like the, the, the owner of a small business which has been like causing him um uh, very like literalized problems in the form of nightmares seeping through it, right? It's like this thing that is um like supposed to be aspirational but is, is having literal nightmares uh seep in and like the the thing that is preventing those nightmares from being overwhelming problems is a um vinnie his friend who he knows and b uh, his cat like these small interpersonal connections end up being the things that give um me that give this guy's uh, like life safety and meaning um and so i think that uh like working in with that like the way that he fights the american dream um, is with the help of Vinny and the cat is by like providing a like protective space around the other characters um, uh, by accessing that dream space. I, do, I, did it do, it's all that makes sense? Is that? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me more or less. Like, yeah, uh, essentially, it isn't important to just work yourself to death for Reggie. The money. P- people is why people is why you live. <laughs> I'm not working myself to death for the money. I'm working myself to death for the people, <laughs> Amber. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not a mirror. I'm Kingston. <laughs> yeah, probably. There it is. Uh, the whole entire I was like, I was like, uh, who's that? Me? Is that sign for me? Too bad I can't read. <laughs> Too bad I can't read. <laughs> Love you, DW. All right, I feel like I think I pretty much personally understand who Amir is. What, like, as the one here with a connection to neither New York nor to the original show. So I guess waiting on the two of you to see if there's anything that you guys think is still missing. Reggie, does this feel particularly New York authentic? Are you here to stamp that seal of approval? 
I would I would stamp my seal of approval. I have a bodega guy. He's lovely. And we love to chat. So I think it works. I would just leave a note. I think this guy, I don't think we gave a specific class, but I definitely feel multi-class is an artificer. And then that's a fun reason for why you have a bunch of gadgets and things. Just leftover stuff from the bodega. And I do Okay, then Amir. in that case, we have to do the part where we give one fun fact apiece about Amir. This is the hardest part. Yeah, it kind of just takes practice. You get better at it over time. <laughs> I think he should secretly like a genre of music you wouldn't expect for someone his age group. So, like, if he's, like, in his 30s, he's just like, oh, yeah, I really like listening to reggaeton, you know? Like, just, like, something that, like, someone, like, 10 years older or younger would listen to, and you're just like, huh. Just something a little bit odd, just for fun. I think there's a running joke where every time, um... Uh, someone enters the bodega and Amir is already there. Um, Amir is reading a book and it's always a different book and it's always thematically related to whatever's going on. And at no point do we get a sense that there's any kind of bookshelf um, or <laughs> like consistency in how long it's taking for Amir to read. Like it's a different book every time. Um, I think Amir... Uh was dead set on getting group matching tattoos and then got so excited about it, went out and got the tattoo, came back and was like, guys, we did it, right? And they're like, what? And he's like, oh. <laughs> I love that. Oh. A positive soul. I also feel like that I... tells me a lot about who Amir is. <laughs> oh, no. All right, and that, ladies and gentlemen and others, is a character. Speaking of my character from Sleeping City, I think we're going to skip that because this episode ran a little long. If you want a supplemental episode, let me know on Twitter. We might even get Reggie back for it if you want to be back for it, Reg. That could be fun. But yeah, that uh, Amber, do you feel like this one's ran long enough that we do or do not need to have the question of the week? Uh, let's do let's do it. Let's do question of the week. Okay, and Reggie, you're here for it. You can answer the question. All right, so here's my question, everybody. If money was no object and you could commission an artist to make anything, and it doesn't have to just be a drawing or a painting, but it could be. Money is no object. Medium is no object. What's something you're commissioning an artist to make for you? Money is no object. So if money is no object, instantly we're going for a medieval tapestry looking motherfucker. I want like a castle wall worth of wall covering. But the real question is, which myth would I pick to have depicted on my castle-length wall tapestry? Tough one. Ooh, that's good. You know, maybe... No, that's too sad. I was gonna say the fall of Achilles, because there's some gay shit there. But it's really so depressing. Not sure if I'd want to look at it every day. I thought you were going to go with Lancelot and Guinevere because you love a good cuckolding. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Holy shit. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> Come on, you see Medieval. these laughs I produce? Brennan, let me on the show. <laughs> okay, are rights an object? What do you say? 
are rights an object? Do I need like rights are like just if I wanna... money away? Okay, just, great, cool. Just money it away. Money's no object, Amber. Buy the rights. So I am a huge fan of anime statues. I've always wanted to start a collection, but I never have space for it. I would find someone who makes, shall we say, clamp-esque, cardcaptor Sakura-esque statues, and I would commission them to make various statues of D&D characters, because that's what I want. I want D&D fan art in a 3D space. And then if I get in statues, well, that just clicks another box I've always wanted to get started on. Uh, Muppets Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh no, that would be so good. Muppets. I would commission Muppet Lord of the Rings. You reminded me about the Muppets. Okay, so we were having a fight. Like a, not a real fight. A gentle fight Oh my god, is over. this the thing that we set up at the beginning of the episode? It is. Oh yes. Holy shit. <laughs> um, so Bunsen and Beaker are... They're lovers, right? I think they're lovers. <laughs> and and everyone at work was like, no, they're just science buddies. And I'm like, oh, and they were roommates? No, fuck you, they're gay. Um, Amber, any opinions? Okay, so the first thing to understand is that Bunsen is fucking horrible to Beaker. Like... To be clear, if this is a if it, if this is a relationship, it is an abusive one. Uh, Depressing. Uh, but yeah, they've probably explored each other's bodies. <laughs> oh, this is. I always thought I always thought Benson was asexual. I thought he was way too focused on the science to ever like pursue <laughs> anything physically with anyone else. So, like, this is this is a fuck of a time for me. Oh, Reggie, wait, you know wrestling. Do you know Seamus? I do know, like, yes. The do you know Seamus is related Irish... to Beaker? He's canonically cousins with Beaker. Like the guy who voices Beaker. Beaker? No, like oh, the Muppet. no. Like the actual Muppet. Like the... There, was an ep- oh. <laughs> there was an episode what? of where the Muppets guest hosted and someone was bullying oh, fuck Beaker. Yeah. And Seamus came to protect him and he said, haven't seen you. Can't wait to see you again at the family reunion. Oh my God. I I fucking love wrestling. I love it so fucking much. God bless the entire sport. Can't wait to have you hey. on when we do the wrestling episode. Speaking of wrestling, join us next week when Devin tries to get us to talk about professional wrestling. Um, but instead, uh, we talk about Portal. Oh, uh, doing the Portal app. We're doing the portal app, and then we will be back for part three of this Dimension 20 series the week after. This has been Original Podcast Do Not Steal. I have been Amber Autumn, she, her. I've been Prince Devin, he, him. And I've been Reggie, he, they. Reggie, where can we find you? Like, in general, um, I'm now... Do you want to plug anything? I, I will now actually plug my Instagram because it's now public enough for that. I am at Reg underscore droid. Welcome. If you, only if you want to look at art and nothing else, though. That's all I post. 
All right, and if you follow people, if enough people follow you, you can start to monetize it, which is the goal for my friendship. I will do everything within my power to monetize the friendship. That's how we close out episodes. Reggie, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you all for listening to this episode. Thanks for making it to the end. Um, uh, why did you do that? Wow, you're still here. Thanks. Shorter than the first one. <laughs> okay. Uh, bye. Goodbye. Is that what we're doing? Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.